Good morning and welcome. What a joy it is to come together to worship on this Lord's Day. I invite you to stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. We have been raised with Christ. Let us therefore set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As we come together as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, let us clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We will forgive even as the Lord has forgiven each of us. Eternal God, our Father, who is from everlasting to everlasting, you have made us and you are never far from us, so that we, your children, may learn the ways of freedom and choose you with all of our hearts. Grant us now your Holy Spirit, that confident in prayer, we may worship you with joy and become as little children before you. This we pray in your name. Amen.
Amen. What an awesome promise as uh, we come to God, our Lord, our Savior. It's so great to see you here in worship this morning. Take a moment, share a word of greeting, a word of peace and grace with others who are here today. morning again. Peace to you. Thank everyone who was able to come yesterday morning to help with the work day. The church looks beautiful, and we, uh, we appreciate all of the effort. And uh, the, uh, I don't know if anyone came out of that with sore backs or uh, thorns in your fingers or whatever, but uh, thank you so much uh, for all of the work and effort into helping to beautify our church. Uh, if you haven't yet cast your ballot in our election of leaders, uh, please do so immediately following the service. You can do so in the lower foyer. And this is for all members, covenant, and actually community members as well. Uh, we thank you for participating. Tonight at 5 o'clock, please note that time, 5 o'clock, we're going to be meeting in the community room for our annual vision meeting. We'll hear uh, some, some words of uh, witness from some folks in our congregation about the church and their lives. We will uh, have an opportunity to break up into small groups to think about some questions of where we're going as a church and how we see God leading us and directing us. Uh, we also have some time for fellowship. If you could bring a plate of cookies or some bars, that would be great. We'll share that with each other. And uh, just to come together in this time and to give thanks for what God has done and to ponder, think about where God is leading us. You don't have to be a member of the church. If, if this is a place where you come, please come to the meeting. And we have child care, so uh, please come uh, with your families and we'll make sure children are well taken care of. And they're welcome to be a part of the meeting as well, but we do have child care as a part of the gathering. Uh, we also need, still need a few more helpers with Sunday school and children's church during the summer. And if you can do help with that, please contact Emily and you see her information in the bulletin. Uh, there are uh, a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, things related to us as a congregation or wider community as well as around the world. And we ask for God's grace to be at work in uh, powerful ways. We have had the privilege for a number of years to be connected with the Rochester Youth Association. Uh, we are one of the four anchor churches that have put together, been a part of this group, uh, originating and continuing in their ministry in Rochester and actually beyond. They are planning a mission trip to Ecuador this summer. They've been here this weekend, uh, yesterday in a training time. And uh, we've asked them to share a little bit. Khalid Rodriguez is here. He's going to be sharing just a few words about the youth association, what is happening with them, and uh, what God is doing and our involvement with them. And bless you all. The Ratsu Youth Association, 25 years we are celebrating this year of ministry in the inner city of Rochester. And one of the things about the Youth Association is that we bring together inner-city kids from different denominations, cross-ethnic, cross-denominational, to come together and worship the Lord. And one of the, thi- one of the things that we do is that we go on mission trips. One of the mission trips that we were actually in the middle of training for this weekend, hence there's one group here at Houghton, there's a group at 
North Park in Cuba, there's a group at Higgins, and there's a group at Fillmore. We're preparing ourselves for our trip to Ecuador in 2000, in the of this summer. And one of the things is that we, are, we don't know what we're doing when we get down there. Only the Lord knows, and we are basically submitting ourselves to the leaders there of where, where the needs are. We're just going down to encourage, and I would love for you guys to just you, to be part of that by praying for us when we're down there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Khalib. And uh, we do want to assure him and the group of our prayers, not just for the trip, but uh, the ongoing ministry in Rochester. They are touching lives. Good things are happening. And uh, we want to continue to remember them as a part of our prayers, as well as as a church, we support the, the work there. I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. We confess the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. We confess our sins as a church, hesitating to love one another, to forgive one another, to give ourselves to one another like Christ. Father, forgive us. Send the Holy Spirit to us that he may give us power to live as you have called us to live. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, please stand for the doxology. Not by words only, O God, would we offer our thanksgiving for so many loving expressions of your concern for us. But also, in Christ's name, we dedicate these gifts that through them we may participate in the work of your ever-widening kingdom. Amen. You may be seated.
we have the privilege of coming to God in prayer. And as we pray together, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, it is, it is an awesome thought that you are a friend of sinners. Particularly when we know that we are sinners. Father, we come today acknowledging your greatness. Not just greatness because you are sovereign and you are almighty and you have created all things. But your greatness in love and compassion and mercy. We bow before you today in gratitude and thanksgiving. For who you are and for what you have done. Father, we come today recognizing that we experience pain in this broken world. We pray for those who are grieving today. And we think especially of the family of Bob Brown. The family of Ben Sauer. And for family and friends of others who have died recently and not so recently. You know our grief, our pain. We ask for your comfort. We pray, Father, for your healing grace as we struggle with health issues with disease, injuries. We pray especially today for Bev and Edna, for Linda and Micah, for Bob and Bill, for Crystal and Emily, and for others that are on our hearts and minds today. We pray for your healing power to be at work in each of them, and may they know your grace poured out upon them. Father, we pray for this world. We ask for your intervention in this world of violence and hatred and war. We think especially of our brothers and sisters who face severe opposition for their faith in you. We pray today for Miriam Ibrahim, Sudanese woman who has been sentenced to death because she has refused to renounce her faith in Jesus. We pray that you will protect her. We pray that you will work miraculously in this situation. We ask that you will give to her courage and grace in circumstances that more than likely we know nothing about. 
But may she know our love, our prayers, our support. And we pray that the power of your spirit would be on display in doing the miraculous. Father, we pray for the Youth Association, their ministry in Rochester and beyond. Pour out your spirit upon them. We thank you for the lives that have been transformed through this ministry. And we pray that you will continue to transform lives. Encourage all who are a part of the Youth Association. And may there be miraculous events. Miraculous work of your spirit. In the lives of everyone they touch. We pray especially for the trip this summer. We pray that, this, that there will be miraculous things that take place in Ecuador. In the lives of the people they minister to. And in everyone's life who is going. May you be glorified. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for every moment of life knowing that you are with us. Help us to see you. Help us to give thanks for the gift of every day. And help us to give thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Who has redeemed us in his death and made life a reality through his resurrection. And has promised to return for his children. It's in his name that we pray. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power And the glory forever. Amen. Our first scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Bye. 
our infinite God. And it's not that we first loved him, but that he first chose to love us, even as in sin and darkness we trod. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who has lavished his love upon us has called us to love like he does. So let us consider how we love one another, how we encourage each other toward love and good deeds. For he who has promised our Father sweet when we open our hearts outside of ourselves to do what he called us to do so let us
I am in the church because people in the church loved me. I have not always had a positive feeling about the church. Being a preacher's kid, um, for some people and in some situations and some places, there were high expectations. And I know this is hard for you to believe, but I sometimes didn't meet those expectations. Once or twice. I specifically remember, I don't know, I was probably 11, 12 years old, maybe 10, with some friends running through the church basement, playing, and getting in trouble from one of the elders. But the only one whose parents were told about it was my dad. And that sort of stuck with me. It's been a long time ago, and I still remember it. I have not always had positive feelings about the church. As a pastor, I see, I don't know for lack of a better term, the underbelly of the church. I think back to the little country church where Cindy and I first served. And the parishioner who was antagonistic, and I'll be kind to say antagonistic about us starting a new ministry to try to reach young couples in the area. The two families who were at odds with each other, trying to get control of the church and getting caught in the crossfire of that. The couple that seemed to believe it was their calling in life to oppose everything we did and to make our lives miserable as much as they possibly could. The couple that screamed and yelled at me in my office because I wouldn't let them continue leading a ministry in the church because their home was in shambles. The gentleman who actually threatened to shoot me because some guys and I in the church had gone to his home and removed his wife and children from his abusive behavior against them. I have conflicting feelings about the church. But I'm in the church because there were people who loved me and who gave me a different perspective of the church. And I think back to when I was a teenager and the couple that worked with the youth group who welcomed me at their home anytime, day or night, and spoke words of kindness to me, loved me, were patient with me. And I think about the professor in college who gave me direction and guidance when I was adrift. I think about the church official who mentored me and helped to renew the the love for the church that my parents had instilled in me. I think about the churches where we have served and the many, many people and so many people in this church who have loved me, supported, encouraged, has made such a big difference. And I was thinking about all of that, my journey, as I read once again these words from Peter. When he begins this section in verse 8 saying, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, 
Be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because this you recall, so you may inherit a blessing. And I read that, and I think, yeah, I've heard that thousands of times all my life. And I think most of us read that and say, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then I read Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. And he says in verse 9, at least a part of verse 9, he simply says... Your job is to bless. Your job as the church is to bless. And something about that clicked for me. I suspect there are people in the church who would argue with him. They would say, no, 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 that's not our job as the church. Our job as the church is to, is to make sure people... Are, are morally right. Our job as the church is, is to make sure that, that we are the, uh, the moral police in our culture. Our job in the church is to even, I mean, is to evangelize. It, it's to work at the social nature of, of people in the gospel. And, and to a certain degree, that's true. But first and foremost, Peter would say, our job, our calling as the church is to bless. That yeah, means, what does it mean to bless? And probably a lot of things going through our minds, but it seems to me, if you put it into a nutshell, to bless means to want for someone everything from God that I want for myself. Whatever I want God to do for me, whatever I want God to do in my life, To bless someone is to want that for them. And to be willing to sacrifice to see it happen. To be willing to give of myself to make it happen. To care enough about other people that I am willing to to give, sacrifice, surrender, do whatever I can so that they experience from God everything that I would love to experience from God. To bless. And in this first section... Peter is, I think, speaking specifically to the church about the church. At this point, he's not talking about blessing the world. He's talking about how we relate to each other as the church. And our job, our calling as the church is to bless each other. He's talking about how I treat you, how you treat me, how we treat each other. And it seems to me that one of the most profound ways in which the church relates to each other, the way in which we bless each other, is with our words. So much about relationship rises and falls with words. Now, I think we tend to to downplay the power of words. You know, we say a lot of things. We use a lot of words every day and we... Quite frankly, I'm not sure they mean that much to us. We live in a society in which everything has to be written down. Every, you have to have a contract on paper. Why is that? Because verbal agreements don't mean anything anymore. We, we just don't trust what we say. And, and that just gets into our natural way of thinking. We don't think that much about words. But words are powerful. 
I remember hearing Dennis Kendall talk about how he said it suddenly dawned on him that outside of his relationship with Jesus, the most important relationship in his life took place with two puffs of air. He said it could be symbolized with three letters. I do. And he said we, we've long since lost the marriage license. Five children later, five in-laws, seven grandchildren, two more on the way. And what started it all? Two puffs of air. Words. He said, she looks at me and says, you said it. So I look at her and say, you said it. It's what holds us together, he said. And you would think, you think about that, you think, well, just two words, just words. It is never just words. Words, once words are spoken, they have life. I was just reading this week, someone who said that in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, there are similarities. And one of the similarities in our relationship with each other that is, is, is reflective of our relationship with God is speech. God speaks. We worship a God who speaks. He speaks creation into existence. He speaks through prophets. He speaks through his word, scripture. We worship a God who speaks. Words are important to God. They have meaning. Which is why words that are intended to encourage and to express compassion and And grace and love are so painful when they're used to curse and to to injure and to harm. I think that's why Peter says in verses 9 and 10, he says, repay insult, not with insult. Don't repay evil with evil. And I find it fascinating that he connects insults and evil. We tend to not do that. We make layers, levels, right? I mean, we insult sarcasm. It's not evil. I mean, yeah, I said something to hurt someone, but well, evil. I mean, evil is dark stuff. You know, evil, evil is demonic. It's not evil. I was just standing up for what I believe was right. I know that I had to say it in a way that might have been abrasive, and I know that I hurt their feelings, but hey, I was standing up for what was right. But it's not evil. I know I probably shouldn't have shared that, what was shared with me in confidence, but it's not evil. It's just a prayer concern. Peter says, our words have the ability to make us a church that either encourages and uplifts or discourages and destroys. Words. What fascinates me as well is that he tells us that if we're going to be blessed by God as a church, if as a a people we are going to experience the blessings of Christ, it will only happen if we are people who are committed to blessing. He says in verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit 
a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. He's telling us, you want to be blessed by Christ? You want to be a church that's blessed by Christ? Have a passion, a desire to bless each other. And the reason for that is because if, we're, if our desire and our passion is to bless each other, then we're loving each other. We're caring for each other. We're doing what Christ does. And it opens us up to receive more and more of the spirit of Christ. But if our passion, our desire is self-centeredness, if we're not really interested in blessing each other, then we're not acting like Christ and we cut ourselves off from Christ. We become the church that we desire to be. Like Christ or not like Christ. And we're not going to be perfect. We're, we're going to fail. We're going to fall. We're, we're going to stumble. We're going to say things that we wish we hadn't said. But our passion for blessing each other will come out even in those moments because the first thing we're going to do is to go and apologize. We're going to seek forgiveness. We're going to try to make it right because our passion is to bless. To want what, what is God's very best for each other that we would want for ourselves. And I think when it comes to how we do that, we pray for God to make us people who want to bless. And maybe it will mean writing a letter or an email or having a phone conversation or probably better yet, a face-to-face conversation to say, I am sorry, forgive me. We're really simply acting like Christ. And that's why we come to this table. We come to this table of blessing. Because God in Christ has poured out the abundance of his blessing upon us. That's why we're here in the first place. And we come to this table and we receive his blessed gifts And we're filled with his spirit of blessing so that we can bless each other. Peter is simply asking us to have a passion, a yearning, a desire to be people who want God's very best for each other. And we are willing to do anything we can and everything we can to make that a reality. Holy Father, we thank you for all the ways in which you have blessed us in Christ and particularly the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Father, as we prepare to come to this table, we ask that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup. Let them be food to our souls. As we come today, we come together, recognizing our weaknesses, but rejoicing in the bond of of love and blessing that is ours through Christ. Let this table unify us 
to the crucified, risen, and returning Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar is always open if you would like to stay and pray. We also have a tray of cups and bread. If you would prefer to be, be served in your seat, just let the usher know as your row is released. And we also have gluten-free wafers. If that is helpful to you, just let me know as you come to the front and I will serve you. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time you have worshipped here. But you come today with your heart open to Christ. And with the desire in your heart to be a part of his church that blesses. Come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Body and blood of Christ given for you. Body and blood of Christ given for you. Thank you.
Our second scripture reading continues in 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the, and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thinking, oh, there's more. It's not enough for us to bless each other. That's important. It's foundational. It is, it is so significant. But as we bless each other... We bless the world. We can't bless the world unless we are blessing each other. Unless there is unity and joy in the body, the world will see nothing of Christ. But once we do, as we commit ourselves to bless each other, that leads us to a heart, a spirit, a mind about blessing everyone else. And Peter is particularly talking about blessing people who oppose us. He asks us, very interesting question in verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Like in a whole lot of people, right? It seems like an odd question to ask. It's, it reminds me of the person who said, if you, think, if you want people to expect people to, to the world to treat you fairly because you're good, it's sort of like expecting the bull not to attack you because you're a vegetarian. It, it, it doesn't really match up. And he, and he says, it, people are going to oppose you. That's just life. That's the way it is. Who's going to harm you? A lot of people. But I think he's saying to us, not we're not going to be harmed if you do good. But it's sort of in the sense of Romans 8, where he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, there are lots of people against us, but there's a deeper meaning. It's the spiritual sense That despite people being against us, we hold firm in the faith. It's it's the last words of Luther's great hymn. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. 
His kingdom is forever. We are going to be opposed as followers of Christ. Peter has been opposed, often persecuted. He writes as one. He's writing to people who've been scattered, more than likely because of persecution. They understand what it means to be opposed for their faith. And what is Peter's solution? What does he say is our response? Same. We bless. We want to fight. We want to defend. We want to impose. Peter says, bless. The people who oppose you, they need to see something different, something unexpected. They need to see and feel and hear you blessing them in spite of what they're doing to you. That you, We want what is best for them. We want every blessing of God to be upon them, just as we want it upon us, even though they're opposing us. Jesus says, you love people who love you? Big deal. Everybody does that. Now, loving people who hate you, that's a whole different thing. Years ago, I read an article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about a gentleman who went to the Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, a large mega church. And he went there one Sunday and he wrote an article about it. And he had some complimentary things to say, but there were a lot of things about his experience that he was critical. And the next week, he wrote a follow-up article. And the follow-up article was about all the responses he received from the original article. And he said, right on cue, I started getting hate mail. And it came from people claiming to be Christian. What's fascinating to me is that it's sad that people responded that way. But more fascinating to me is that that's what he expected people to do. He expected the hateful mail. Somehow, as the people of God, as the church of Christ, we do the unexpected. And we bless. And I know it's hard because we want to defend and impose and, and force. And, and, and there's a place for standing up for our faith. But as he says... He says, you ought to be able to declare the reason for your hope in Christ. That's important. But do it in a spirit of gentleness and respect. We're not steamrolling people. We're loving them. We're blessing them. Is the end result, is the purpose of our declaration to win or to bless? Is the purpose of our, of our words and our actions to, to get people to see things the way we do or to love them so that the Spirit can use us as channels to get them to see things the way He does, to work in their lives? It's about being people who bless in the Spirit of grace. And I think that's why Peter goes into this, what I would, seems to be a rabbit trail about Noah and Jesus preaching to people imprisoned. 
It, you read that and you think, oh man, what is he talking about? And you could, you'll ask, you ask a hundred theologians, you'll probably get at least 50 different answers. I certainly don't know precisely what he's saying, but it seems to me that he's using that as an example. Here is Jesus with people who have rejected God, who refuse to listen to Noah's warnings, who turn their backs on every attempt God made to rescue them. And what is Jesus doing? Going and proclaiming one more time. And he has just said, remember, Jesus is the one, the righteous one, the perfect one who dies, not for the people who are righteous and good, but for the unrighteous. Jesus is all about grace. And if Jesus can be about grace to people who have rejected him, who have rejected God, who have rejected God's word... Why wouldn't we be about grace too? There is something in us that wants people to get what they deserve. We all feel that way sometimes. The people who oppose us, and we don't deal with the same kind of persecution that Peter and and the people he's writing to deal with, but we do, we are sometimes responded to contemptuously. People politely ignore us. Treat us as though we are insignificant and what we believe is insignificant. We're pushed to the margins. And Peter says, I know it's easy. You you want to respond as I hope people get what they deserve. But Jesus' example is grace. They may still reject it. And then it has to be dealt with. But it is one more example of the calling on our lives to be people who bless. Who want every good thing from God for the people who oppose us and oppose the church. We still want God's best for them. Because we want them to know the grace of God in their lives. We want them to come to realize the joy and the peace and the love of Christ that we've experienced. And in a sense, that's what we do in baptism. And he moves from Noah and the, and, and the peace souls in prison to baptism. And he talks about how baptism saves us. And that makes us nervous. But I think it's because we, have a, we just have a different view of baptism than Peter does. For us, we have tended to take a perspective that baptism is an option. I think that would be difficult for them to grasp. Because for them, baptism is the very next logical step to opening one's heart to Christ. Of course, you be, but you're baptized. It's a part of, of what it means to come into the faith. And baptism is standing up as God's people as the church, and saying, anything good you see in me, it's Jesus. Anything good that you see in us, it's Jesus. Anything about our lives that you would look at and say, wow, they're blessed, that's Jesus. And we are standing up and declaring it. It is a public, visible, humble declaration of the risen Christ In us. Individually and corporately. 
There are many places of the world where baptism is, is the moment when persecution either begins or intensifies. It is the public declaration, my life is about the risen Christ. No turning back. But we're not rubbing people's faces in something. We're simply declaring, look at what God has done for us. Wouldn't you love to have God do that for you? Everything good that God has done in my life, everything that you might see in me that you could say is positive, God wants that for you. I want that for you. And I'm standing up here. I'm sacrificing. I'm putting myself on the line to declare that. Because I want nothing more than for you to experience the blessing of God that I've experienced. And ultimately, it all comes back to the risen Christ. It is the risen Christ at work in us individually and corporately that gives us the strength when we want to defend, to love. When we want to, to force ourselves and Christ and the church on people, we bless. When we want to impose, we share grace. And like God with us, we are patient and gentle and respectful and humble and kind. Because our primary interest is to be a channel of blessing to people, even people who are opposed to Christ. One of my favorite stories that Fred Craddock tells is about a missionary named Oswald Golter. In the 1940s, he had spent 10 years in North China And his mission board sent him the money to buy a ticket to come home for some rest. He he went from China and landed in India, and he had a layover of a few weeks. And while he was there, he discovered in a warehouse a a, a group of people from a, a part of the world that no one wanted. They were outcasts. No one would welcome them, and so they were stuck in this warehouse with no place to go. His heart broke for them. So he went to visit them, and and it was around Christmas time, and he said to them, Merry Christmas. What would you guys like for Christmas? And they said, hey, wait, we're not Christians. We don't have anything to do with Christ. We don't celebrate Christmas. He said, I know, but what would you like for Christmas anyway? And after they talked for a while, and he kept prying, they finally told him about some, some wonderful German pastries that they loved. So he spent the next few days scouring the city, looking for a bakery that made these pastries. And when he found one, he cashed in his ticket, and he bought basketfuls of these pastries. And he took them to these people, and he said, Merry Christmas. Later on, he was telling this story, and a student said to him, But sir, why would you do that? They're not Christians. They don't celebrate Christmas. They don't, even, they, they don't even believe in Jesus. And Golter said, 
I know. I know they don't believe in Jesus. But I do. As the church, our job, our calling is to bless. And my prayer is that through the power of the risen Christ, we will go out and be and do what we were created and redeemed to be and to do. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you 
and give you peace. Amen.